Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today for our sermon recap. This past week, we were back in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I had missed the week before. I was away and out of town. Uh, But we're back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, looking at verses 6 through 10, which really is the end of a little section uh, in 1 Timothy. But we're we're getting close to finishing 1 1 Timothy and being all all done with it here. Uh, But Let me start in verse 3. It says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit, he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So this is what we looked at a couple weeks ago. And... Uh, the false teachers must have been using the gospel to gain in some way, uh, monetarily, maybe financially, maybe just in status or power or authority or something like that as well. Most likely money, though, they were using. And so our verses now is verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we, are brought, we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing... With these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So, we looked at contentment. You guys aren't content with what I'm saying because you're both on your phones. So, that's all right. That's okay. No, we're, we're very content. We're <laughs> no. submitting. Here's the problem with the message like yesterday. I had people come to me, you know, Sunday evening we had our cornhole tournament, had a lot of people here at the church, <clears throat> fun. And I heard from numerous people how their children were using contentment against their parents. Like one, I was talking to one lady and she said she came home and they had all ate lunch and was like, did you save me any? It was pizza. And they're like, we saved you one piece. And she's like, one piece. And her kid said, you should be content with just one. (laughs) That's wrong. That wasn't the purpose of the message. (laughs) That is using contentment sinfully, I would say. (laughs) Yeah. But anyways. They forgot the passage about thinking of others. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, So. You're going to be content grounded in your room. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see how this goes. (laughs) That's right. Uh, So contentment. I said in the message that I knew that this was coming um, because I do read ahead. I do read ahead trying to plan and prepare. Uh, and so I, I saw this section and I thought it warranted being on its own. That's why I didn't do verses like three through 10 all as one. Um, because I think that uh, contentment is a big issue in the church and just in people's lives in general. And I know it is for me. And so it was good to be able to study contentment and like i said read a couple books i should have brought the other one in here it was by megan line i think was her name and scott it was one of those uh we're in a room with a bunch of books i was trying to see if we had any it was in that series that's very thin and it'll have like white border and then a color like they have like assurance contentment oh yeah like uh, a 30-day devotional yes yeah. yeah yeah and she wrote the one on contentment and it was, you know, it was it was pretty good. I, I read some of the stuff. Um, I don't think I quoted in the sermon, but she had a, a good couple lines on uh, 
not being able to love church family members well if you're not content. Mm. Because I, I guess I've said it a little bit because you just care about yourself. Mm. Um, and that's what you're thinking about. And so then you're not loving how you should. And and, and I just found in studying contentment, it's almost like uh, the sin of uh, pride or the sin of selfishness, which contentment is related to. I feel, I've always felt like those sins... When you when you think about your life and you think about your sin, it could almost always boil down to like those. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's because I'm always selfish. Mm-hmm. You know, if I would just not be selfish, contentment's another one of those. It's like, if I could just be content, then really I would have peace always. I, I it would be a such better life. But when you start to, I think as we grow as Christians, and maybe you guys can speak to this some, as we grow as Christians. We start to realize the sin in our life and how deep it really is, I think, before. Because we, we don't understand that, I don't think, at first when we come to Christ, when God saves us, right? We, we understand that we are sinners, but I think a lot of times what we're thinking about is like the language we've used, uh, the, the bigger sins that we've committed. You know, maybe somebody's committed adultery or whatever it might be. And so mm-hmm. they recognize <clears throat> God's going to forgive me of these. And that, that's a good thing. But as we grow and as the Lord is working in us, we start to see, don't we, the these sins that are just constantly there that we just seem to can't, we can't root them out like pride and selfishness and contentment and stuff. Um, and so what would you guys say to somebody who you started, you're starting to realize as you're talking with them that maybe that's what they're going through. Like they're starting to see in their life all this sin as a Christian. And because a lot of times it'll weigh you down. Right, it'll weigh you down to where people start to doubt. Like, I just, I, I'm keep doing this, and the Bible says I'll be free of sin. The Bible says that I'll conquer these things. I just can't get rid of it. How do we, how do we talk to somebody in that type of situation? How do you talk to yourself? Maybe. <laughs> I guess um, the one of the best illustrations I've ever heard about this kind of a thing is from a, a book that I've read called The Hammer of God. He talks about how whenever we first start. Um, he talks about, you know, so for instance, when someone first realizes um, sin in their life, they start initially thinking of things like what you're talking about, Tim, um, the word external things, words they use, uh, maybe external attitudes they portray to other people or things they do or, you know, whatever. Um, and he says that it's like a man who goes out into his yard, starts digging up all of his rocks in his yard because he wants to make them rock. He wants to make it good soil. Yeah, but the more rocks he keeps digging up individually, he keeps finding more and more until eventually he gets down uh, and he ha- having dug so much, he realizes his shovel eventually hits a solid piece of rock and he realizes the whole house is built upon, his whole yard is built upon a solid piece of rock. And that's our hearts, I think, by by nature. We, we start with all these little individual sins, but the more you dig deeper, and especially as you're doing this in light of God's word and the spirit of God convicting us, you realize it's not simply my problem wasn't simply that thing or that thing there. It's the whole heart of me is hard and heart and, and sinful. So what Jesus said in Matthew 15, uh, it's not what you put into your body that defiles you. It's what comes out of your out of your mouth because it flows from your heart. So it's from the heart that all of those sins come from. Your heart, your heart is hard. And so as you realize that, 
that should then make us realize, okay, so um, as Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 7, who can deliver me from this body of death? Because Paul is saying as a Christian there, I'm doing the things I don't want to do, but I don't do the things I know I should do. Who can deliver me from this? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that should then drive us to another rock, which is Calvary, um, Golgotha, where Jesus Christ was was crucified for us. And so we realize that our salvation is um, first and foremost um, found outside of us in Jesus Christ. Now, he does change our hearts, but um, but he does that by focusing us not on ourselves, but upon him. And so I guess... That is, to me, I guess, one of the big, the big comforts. Another verse that is very comforting to me is, and I, I find it, I hope other people find it encouraging, is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul says, no sin has not overtaken you that is not common to mankind. Mm-hmm. So other people need to realize, other Christians who begin to see this in themselves need to realize that every single sin you're going through is not special. Um, it's bad, but it doesn't make you special. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of other people, even within our church, who can identify with the similar struggle you're going with, going through. And I guess that's also encouraging because then it, it reminds us that all those people in the Bible, um, like David and Abraham and Samson and Peter and Paul, they were sinners just like me, and yet Jesus saved them. Um, and so that, that just, again, drives us, I think, to, to trust in the atonement of Jesus Christ sure. again. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I, I, I think what you guys have said is very good and helpful. I mean, that person who, I think um, the idea of a person, like we've said, that knows the big sins in their life that have dri- maybe driven them to faith in Christ to see their need for a Savior. And then, you're right, they eventually find out that there's actually something much deeper beneath the surface that's wrong with me. It's not just a few ill-informed actions. It's actually my entire attitude, way of thinking, my very nature. I just seem drawn to these things. And a person who could be crushed beneath that <clears throat> knowledge of knowing, like of finally seeing just how sinful they actually are, just needs, I think it, it could be a powerful reminder that, listen, it might be news to you that you're this bad, but it wasn't news to right, Jesus yeah. when he died for you. He already knew that. He knew just how bad you were. And that's actually how God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so you might be surprised by how bad you are. And the response should not be to just think, and I don't think you were saying this, Spencer, that just because everybody else is like this doesn't mean you should be complacent right. in this. Right. It doesn't mean that you should think it's okay because it's not. Just because everybody else does it, you right. don't compare yourself to other people. You compare yourself to God's standard of holiness. Um, Jesus is not surprised by how bad you are, and he's not surprised by even new patterns of sin mm-hmm. that happen. He knew it was all yep. going to happen, and he still loved you. When he said, it's not the righteous I came to call, but sinners to repentance. I'm a doctor, yeah. and you're a sinner. You're mm-hmm. sick, and mm-hmm. I came to heal you. Mm-hmm. So the more, the worse you see yourself, the more, <laughs> the more you have every right to come to the doctor, to Jesus, mm-hmm. to heal you. Yeah. 
the more he is in a sense calling you to yeah, come to yeah, him, right? Yeah. So like if you're if you have a symptom, just to go with the illustration, yeah. if you have a symptom of something sick, which we've we've known people that this has happened to, you have a symptom, you go to the doctor, you think it's just something simple or basic. They tell you, actually, no, you've got a really bad diagnosis. And we were gonna have to take action fast. Well, it's like, you know, you've finally seen my sickness is actually a lot worse, mm-hmm. but you're in the right place. You're exactly where you need to be, and the doctor's exactly who you need. Mm-hmm. And they want you to be there now more than ever. And that's exactly the same for Christ and what he wants. One of the easy things in a message like this, I think, is to be very heavy uh, on, like, duty, on law. On, like, it would have been an easy message to preach of, like, you guys need to get over yourselves. You need to stop worrying about money and stop worrying about status. And if you want to please God, you should <clears throat> be content, right, and that would be an easy thing to say, I think, from this little section. And so I found it important to start the message a little different to remind people of, I think, why Paul is uh, saying this for us. Because it actually is for your benefit to be content. God doesn't give us contentment so that we can just live a life without stuff and be okay. He gives us contentment because he loves us, and being content actually is the best place to be. Um, and so I just wanted us to see that by sharing a few things. Like I, I read out of Proverbs 14 where it says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. And I think we could all feel that at times where when we are content, uh, we're happy and we have peace. But when we start to when we start to have envy, that hurt. It, it, that's a bad place to, to be. We, we've all we've all done that. I've shared that story before. I remember coaching a high school basketball team, and I'm pulling up in a 2000 Cavalier, and they're all pulling up in new Jeeps and trucks. And I'm, man, 16 years old. I'm like, what in the world is happening? You know, it was a very frustrating time. But uh, my car drove me just fine. You know what I mean? Like it, it really did take care of my needs to get to places. It, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my heart wasn't fine. It was, there was envy that just causes frustration that wasn't, that wasn't needed. Um, so then I read in Matthew 11, the passage of, of, of Jesus promising us rest in him. And so just trying to remind people of that, I wanted to get in the mind of like, okay, Proverbs says this about a tranquil heart. You know, you have peace in this envy is Okay. Remember, Jesus said this about rest. And really the question is to everybody, do you live this way? Do you, you know, do you do you successfully live this way every day? Resting in Christ. And I know every good Christian would be like, oh, I rest in Christ. It's like, really? Like I think what you mean is you know you've been saved and you've trusted in him, and that's great, but do you really feel rest in him and peace and hope and satisfaction? <clears throat> And I think we all struggle with that, if we're honest. So then the question is, like, why? If Jesus is promising this, why wouldn't we experience this and go through this? And and so then I read out of Romans 8, which, Scott, you read as well. Um, I just want people to see and to remember kind of what you were talking about. You talked about Romans 7. That leads, obviously, to Romans 8, where Paul's talking about there's no kind Usually, of, yeah. Most usually, Bibles, Romans yeah. 7 leads to Romans 8. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Unless it's the, the good one. The good one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, but how I I want to remind us how Paul says we have no condemnation now uh, through Christ in Christ. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. And so, I think it's hard for us to think in this terms, these terms. But 
the greatest gain that we could ever have. Because when you're talking about contentment, you're talking about gain, things. The greatest gain we could ever have is to be told by God, there is no condemnation found in you. You are mine. There's nothing better than that. And I don't know why I feel this way, but I feel this way so often in the pulpit when talking. It's like I have to convince people of that. I really feel like they don't believe that. They might say that, but that we don't really think that, that God is the greatest gain. And so how the service kind of ended a little bit was like talking about Job. I Just being really like open, I don't want to pray, God, help me to be like Job, because that's scary. That's a scary thing. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> but Job realized at some point God was the greatest gain. It took a lot to get him to that point. But that's the best place to be is to understand that if we are his, he he's adopted me into his family. Mm-hmm. There's nothing on this earth that can be given to me that could ever compare to that. Yeah. And as Christians, that's what we've been given. And again, I just when I look at faces or I guess my own heart at times, maybe that's where this really comes from. It's like I don't think we grasp that enough because we're constantly trying to gain more. And that's a struggle. So, again, just trying to remind us off the top of, listen, as a Christian, and I wanted this to be good news, not bad news, there's nothing better that you're ever going to gain than what God's already given you. And so the rest that's in Christ, you've been given that, but the problem is you're not living in that. And here's the problem. And so that's why then I wanted to get into the contentment part. Mm -hmm. It's like, now let's look what Paul says right here. And let's look at what what contentment is. And what I really would like to talk us to talk about is what is on my on my mind and it's been on my mind i i kept meant i kept meaning to ask you guys about this before i preached but i just i kept forgetting or whatever and i just i never had the chance and i didn't want to do it by a text or something i wanted us to talk about it is um contentment versus complacency because that is still just ringing in my mind and trying to be worked through in my slow process in my head, I guess. Because I have always been taught, well, I've been taught not to be content, not by my parents and stuff, but like in the world, right? Don't be content with your current situation. You want to climb, you want to go. But I have been taught not to be <clears throat> just like complacent, just like, and, and this came up honestly in a lot of the commentaries because the Stoics back in Paul's time would even teach something like this, but it was more of not a godly contentment. It was just not letting things bother you, mm-hmm. right? Being, it was kind of a mind over matter kind of an it's idea. Like a, it's yeah. like a Buddhist. Yes. Sounds like a yeah. lot like Buddhism. Yeah, it was something different, but it was it was similar. So um, I don't know. I just, <clears throat> I think this is a hard, a hard battle. And so you heard in my message, I said some questions that went with this to help me clarify Am I being complacent or is this a contentment thing? You know, it's like, what is my motivation behind this? And mm. why, why do I think I need to have this job? You know, or whatever, whatever the case might be. Um, I don't know, but that still just is ringing in my head because I don't like when people are complacent. Well, let me ask this question. <clears throat> what is, what is the dictionary, the, the, the term complacency? Like that would be. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I want you to look it up. Okay. Yeah, look I, it I up am, on your phone. I am. I am. I'm, I've got, got my research assistants on. Complacent. Yeah. Meaning. Dictionary. Showing smug or uncritical satisfaction with oneself or one's achievement. 
I wonder, but keep going. I wonder, like, I guess, because one of the things we talk about yeah, I don't like is um, because in theology, we talk about God has a love of complacency. Um, and so marked self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. See, oftentimes we have a very negative, this, yeah, I don't the, think of it that this way, term though. has a very negative connotation today. I do not know this. So I'm just throwing stuff out here. Oftentimes words, um, change uh meaning to where in the past being complacent could have potentially been a good idea right almost a synonym with content right i don't know that i could be wrong no like today the synonyms are at least according to mary webster would be apathetic Right. Casual, disinterested, and curious, mm. and sensible. Right, and that's what I was meaning by right. that. You know, right. it's just like yeah. laziness. Because I could, I could. It'd be so easy to do that. You know, it's like Scott. I drove by your house, and your lawn's eight inches. Why? Why it's didn't you mow tall the, right now? No, I'm not being honest. <laughs> <laughs> it is there. right now. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Don't worry. Get close to home. <laughs> oh no! Alicia I'm, needs I'm to get out there. I'm talking about. <laughs> you have to get Alicia out there to get yeah. her to mow the yard down. But you know, you could be all high and mighty and biblical and be like, "Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm fine with this. I'm content with my yeah. yard. Why do you, why are you trying to put yeah. something else on me?" And it's exactly. Like, no, you're being lazy. You know, you know what I mean. It, I just that that line and trying to battle that, I guess, within. Yeah. When you add, I, number one, that was a really good point to bring up in your sermon to get people thinking because it helped me kind of think through what it looks like in my life, like contentment versus complacency. And honestly, one of the first things that I could think of and write down was at least in the way, like with several of the things, at least you'd mentioned about being content in whatever situation that with contentment, it's almost as if like for those things, I'm to be content in many of the things in my life that I have no control over. Um, you know, things that happen to me, illnesses, like you'd mentioned several things like that, like bad doctor's visits people have had, you know, contentment in the things I can't control. Um, but complacency seems to be more along the lines of, do I have any kind of control over this at all? Um, if I do have control, uh, then I think it could be complacency in a negative sense of where, my lawn is about eight inches right now. Sorry, you know, <laughs> and it's it's honestly, I'm waiting until the last moment so I can cut it because we're going sure, out of town. No, you, for don't, a you don't have to make excuses, Scott. Yeah, it's, it's okay. okay. It's, it's okay. not an excuse. It's I'm not. Just right, right. It's okay. Yeah. No, it's fine. Lisa's um, been lazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that that obviously has its limits, right? Because part of the issue with not being content is that you're a control freak and you want control over everything. Um, but there are things like if you just want to blame everything in your life over well not blame but just say well i'm just going to be content but you're clearly neglecting something that you should care about that mm-hmm. you you know whether it's you know your home that you have been called to be a good steward of the gifts that god has given you well you know you have the ability to change that or to fix this or to cut your grass you know in a reasonable timely manner <laughs> so i yeah. don't know that's kind of what i thought yeah. about was do i have any ability to fix this whatsoever you know, um, or to deal with this situation or this issue. Um, and so I probably should. Yeah. When I, when I think through this, it just gets deeper and deeper. I feel like, but this came up, I think it might've been in Jeremiah Burroughs book. 
But just talking about like, you're talking about things you just simply can't control, right? So like, there might be some kid in our church who hates the family he was born to, you know, and it's like, well, you, you 100% couldn't control that. But most things in our life, we do get to control in a way. So like, um, some, uh, college students, we had graduation Sunday. They might be asking the question like, what is God's will for my life? And trying to think that through that. Right. Well, the fact is they do control that. Like they get to decide if they want to go to college or not. They can pick which college or which career they want to start going towards. Now, what they can't control is when they go to the interview and they do their best or whatever, uh, and the bosses, the guy's like, yeah, we're, we're not hiring you. Mm. They can't necessarily control that. Like, they got yeah. to control a lot of stuff, what they wore to the interview and how they acted and the answers that they did. They got to control a lot of that. But in the end, if if they didn't get the job or they did get the job, I think what this passage is talking about with contentment is as Christians – we believe in a sovereign God, mm-hmm. and if we truly were to believe in that, we would say, okay, I got the job. I'm content. Or, okay, I didn't get the job. I'm content. And and so there is this act of I could control it. And so let's talk about that situation real quick. I go into the interview. I don't get the job. I don't think our response as Christians should just be, I'm content, whatever. It could also be, I'm content with this, but could I have done something different to maybe have got the job? You know, like I wore flip-flops and a ratty pair of shorts and a cutoff. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I could have done something else. And so that's where that thought of contentment and complacency, like battles in my mind of, of how I can see that being at least a struggle with me, where at times I would use being complacent, I think, the wrong way to, to give credence to my sin of lack of contentment. I'm just saying, no, I'm not being complacent. And it's like, actually, you've crossed the line here. Mm. You're just sinning, mm. you know, or the other way around. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a, in my head anyways, that's a real battle to to think through. And it's one that you should. I mean, you quoted a proverb earlier to mm-hmm. talk about envy and making the bones rot. Proverbs also talk about the sin of laziness a lot. Yep, yep. And that really is real, yep. you know, and it, it leads to... Uh, bad things mm-hmm. to come about in your life, and so it's it is something that scriptures are are uh, are addressing, and it's an issue of wisdom of <laughs> when is this complacency, when is this contentment, you know, and it's it's hard to draw that line in the same. Well, I think that's why it's important too, just to have people in your life, right? <clears throat> why again, why God puts yeah. us together uh, to where people can help with that, right? Um, and we need to we need to help people with that, but we need to do it in the right way. Uh, at the same time. You mentioned in Jeremiah Burroughs that contentment, the one key word um, that I remember from that definition was the word submit. And I think that's um, a, uh, a helpful word um, because whenever I think about contentment here and as we're talking about it, the, fir- the first sin of mankind was, was rooted, at least partially, in discontentment. And why were they discontent, Adam and Eve? because they disbelieved God's goodness, Mm -hmm. the love of God towards them. So because they disbelieved that God was, was for them, they then believed the lie and they became discontent. Now, what would it, what would have contentment look like? Well, it would have been active trust in God, but also it would have been fighting against the serpent. There would have been action. And I think the idea of submission is helpful because in contentment, we're always still actively loving our God and loving neighbor. Mm-hmm. So complacency doesn't do that. 
if we're talking about the negative idea of complacency, complacency doesn't actively love and trust in God above all things and love the neighbor. So if we, um, um, sub- contentment is submitting uh, to God in such a way that you're willing to, uh, that you seek to love God and love your neighbor despite whatever circumstances you're in. That's contentment. Um, so like, for instance, you have these verses like um, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So we have the promise of the gospel. I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, in light of that, keep yourself free from the love of money. Or even more so, Jesus's words in Matthew 6, where he tells us not to be anxious, be content, don't be anxious about your life. Um, he says, trust God that he loves you, that he will take care of you. But that doesn't mean that we don't do anything because then in verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so you seek God's kingdom and you let him take care of you. So that's kind of how God's promises, contentment is always seeking God's kingdom first. It's not it's not refusing to seek the kingdom and it's not refusing to love our neighbor or to love God. It's actually seeking to do those things in any number of situations where we find ourselves. That's where Paul is saying, I know how to abound in high situations and in low situations. What he's meaning is it's not, he's not saying it don't matter to me whether I suffer or whether I'm happy. No, it hurts when you're hurting. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's part of the stoic idea is, no, you shouldn't acknowledge even the pain there. Just just take it for what it is. But we're not blocks of wood. We're people with feelings and emotions. So even in my hurting and my if you know if I'm starving or suffering or whatever, God calls me to still seek his kingdom, and that involves trusting him, loving him, and loving my neighbor in according to all the 10 commandments. And whenever I'm doing that, I actually find myself being content because I'm trying to live my life in 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 such a way that no matter where I'm at, wherever God has placed me, I'm still pursuing those things, I think. Yeah, so that I, uh, definition you were talking about, Jeremiah Burrow, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. So contentment always believes God is loving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Contentment always <laughs> believes that. Complacency says, well, either, of course God loves me, and is no longer thinks grace is amazing or complacency says, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. It don't matter. And so then you're actually doubting God's love. So you either are presuming on God's love or Mm -hmm. doubting on God's love, but contentment trusts and gratefully receives God's love for what it is. Yeah. As we look at that definition, I mean, just it, it's, this is what we all seek after everybody. Everybody I've ever met is seeking after, happiness you know i mean that's that's what they're seeking after uh and there's all different routes and ways to get there that people try but if you could truly be content with your life no matter what the situation is and what this says is that that sweet inward quiet gracious frame of spirit submitting to god right in his fatherly disposal and you're happy with whatever it is you know whatever he decides and you have this happiness always because of that it's not ignorance like you said Mm -hmm. but it's just realizing what the bible says what the world is what is happening right what is going on and to live that way i think is everybody's goal and what i hope our church heard and sees is that 
this goal has been accomplished for us in Christ, being in Christ. We have, we have that. Um, and we need not let Satan rob us of that by starting to tell us happiness could be found mm-hmm. somewhere else. And, uh, and so just bringing up the point that, again, in America, we have been taught to go after things, to try to achieve things. But I've also heard living in America my whole life that money will not buy happiness. I hear that. Not even That's not even like a, a church saying necessarily. I've heard that all over the place. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows this. Yeah. Um, and there's a danger there. And what we, have from, what we have from Paul is a crazy danger. right? He says in verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. <clears throat> Yet plenty of good Christians have still fallen prey to that. that I mean, the warning is very clear. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to go and be rich... Know this, temptations are lurking. But as I said in my message, I think too many of us think, I'm strong enough to avoid it. You made a really good point (laughs) that there are other sins and other temptations that people stay 100 feet away from Mm -hmm. because of that very same thing of like, I don't don't even want to flirt with that. Yep. But very few, very few (laughs) treat money that way. Very few. You know, and... um, and yeah. I think, I mean, the idea of contentment, you know, I was thinking as you were preaching, it's like, I wonder how Pastor Pre- Pastor Peter would preach this message to his people that, you oh, know. Oh, in Africa. That are in Africa. For a second, I thought you were calling the Apostle Peter your Pastor Peter. <laughs> no, no. <Okay. laughs> but like, you know, it, you'd have to think that the tone of it would be, I don't know, maybe it'd be the same. Maybe they're, you know, like, I'm sure, I mean, it was a temptation for these people here in mm-hmm. Ephesus. So it's a temptation for all, you know. Uh, yeah, because Paul went yeah. on to say some have wandered yeah. away. Like people yeah. you know yeah. have done this. Yeah, and and it's, um, but yeah, you just think that it has a different ring to it when you're talking to people that are so used to having nothing in their life but luxury. I mean, you mentioned this in your sermon, like us compared to the vast majority of humans throughout history. Yep. We've known nothing but luxury, mm-hmm. even the poorest yeah. Among Americans have no nothing but luxury. And it's uh just to to realize that and think about that and understand like I'm so careful to avoid other temptations. What am I doing to be careful to avoid this temptation in the way that I'm called to here? Mm-hmm. Um and we and again I also I tried very hard in the message to talk that money is not sin. Uh enjoying what you've been given and what you've earned is not is not a sin. It, that is an that is an okay thing. But we do have to realize. I think this is very particular to us where we live. That the temptation, though, with having this lifestyle and God blessing you and you having things or prestige or power or whatever it might be, is the it, there are great temptations to fall and for you to be led astray in that. And so. Uh, we in our context just need to be very careful because today, I know we say this kind of stuff all the time, but very I don't hear a lot of Christians saying, yeah, I'm not coming to church because I'm trying to make that dollar. But I'll hear them definitely say, yeah, I'm not coming to church because we have a baby shower. We have this. And it's like, why are you doing this on Sunday? You know, and it's like you're you're putting family constantly above church family or above God or you're putting your time you're like, well, Sunday's the only day because Saturday we got to do this and this. It's like you you continually are putting your time above actually what is going to make you happy and please you, which is being close to your father, right, and being loved by him. 
Um, and so it's not just a money thing. I just, a comfort thing, whatever, whatever it might be. Uh, we, it, we just squander, I think often what we have in Christ because of those temptations. And we could name sins that we avoid at all costs because we know the danger of them. Like you had said, you know, it might be lust. And so people are like, no more TV, you know, no more computer, no more this, or it could be, you know, uh, drunkenness and so they're like i'm not don't put that in my house i don't want to be around that i don't want to even talk about it they go to great lengths to avoid because of of maybe what it had done to their life at some point or drugs you know or whatever we could go to all kinds of sins that people struggle with but you're right money is i don't know if i've ever heard anybody say yeah i don't i don't want that job because it's, it's going to be too much money and i'll probably be i'll probably yeah. sin. what person has ever thought about going to a brother that they care about and saying man i think that you make too much money yeah, yeah. you know or i think that you're tempting yourself with money yeah or i'm really worried about like it. what american would think to do that right because that goes against the mm-hmm. normal american sentiment of you have a ton of stuff good for yeah. you look how happy right. you are well we we often build up um we often forget the 10th commandment do not covet. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is. Contentment is the total opposite of, of covetousness, which is interesting that Paul in Romans 7, that's the specific sin he mentions in his own life of that that as the thing that he says, I, I before um, the command came, I found life. But then whenever the command came to not covet, then I found all, sign, all kinds of covetousness in me. Which is we, idolatry. Idolatry, yeah. And and so we see this principle of contentment not I think we also see it in our society in, in all sorts of ways, whether that be um the sad pandemic of people that are um discontent now with their assigned sex at birth, um, where people are discontent with that now, and so they're seeking to change that. They're not submitting to God's providence in their lives. So they're seeking to change that and they're coveting something else that they think will make them happy because it's idolatry. Um, And so it can be stuff, it can be money, it can be my personal identity, it can be any number of things that we covet and we're discontent with. But in all of those things, we're doubting that God loves us. We're doubting that he made us in love, that he's upholding us in love and that he's given his son to us and for us in love. And... um, Contentment yeah. impacts our relationships. So I, I think we need to talk about that some because, like, I think a lot of problems in marriages are because of lack of contentment. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think about that just in mine, and I think it was a, a couple weeks ago I said something about how you, it's so easy to go home, you see the house is messy, and all of a sudden you're just full of anxiousness and frustration. Um, and I think we all do that kind of stuff. And what does that boil down to? I think it does boil down to like contentment with where we are. We we want we have this picture in our head of what our house should look like and the order that it should be in. And when it doesn't happen, we feel like failures and we then put that on other people because we're not content. And so then our wives take the brunt of that. Or I see this too. Um, and it's a it is a struggle, but you can do this with your kids, you know, as your kids start getting involved in different things, sports or music or whatever it might be. At first, you're very you're very happy with them until you go to the concert and you see that there's a lot of people who sing a lot better than my kid, <laughs> and you're like, you need to sing better, you need to practice more, yeah. and it's all of a sudden instead of loving your kid, you're putting on them your lack of contentment of what you think they should be. Or in sports, this is extremely common, right? Uh, and that's sad because that just 
that now that puts like this little barrier between you and your children or, or your wife or, or your neighbor. Again, it can go on and on and on to where you really then start to see the impact your lack of contentment mm. has on people that you should be, you should be loving, you know, or in children. I, I don't know if children listen to this, probably not unless they're forced. Children <laughs> will do this to their parents. You know, they're not content with, like I said, what what is made for dinner. Mm. Or they're not content because... Uh, by the way, your meal sounded really good. I thought so, too. It did. Ribs, it mashed potatoes, good. and country green beans. I think so, too. I think that's what we should have at camp. <clears throat> Sounds good. Well, you awesome. guys will have that before no, I show I, up. I actually know what we're having. Don't before worry, you'll you show sh- up early and eat some of it. Before yeah. you show up, I already know what we're having. I haven't told you yet. I've oh, talked. Okay. i got to get it approved by the leader. But once he approves it... A Little Caesars or something? If you make it, I'll be happy with it, probably. It's a cut of meat, though. I just I want to know if you ever had it. We'll talk about it. I don't want Spencer to know. <laughs> yeah, I'll show up after. Yeah, that's what these guys do, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So aren't you the, preaching that Sunday? I guess so. Oh, you're Father's welcome. Day. What's better than that? Well, why are you? Why can't? Why did you give it up? Because what's better than go, that, Tim? I have to go to camp and do this. I wish I could stay here. <laughs> right? Yeah. Whatever. I know that's the biggest lie in the world. <laughs> you love camp. <laughs> we all love camp. I do like camp. I do like camp. All right. Anything else? No, I'm content. I was just thinking, like, I mean, even in that stuff that you brought up, I mean, it's, it's, it's the where the way that your discontentment actually affects other people the way that any one of your sins would affect other people, but there's also still that struggle of what's the difference between this is just my discontentment versus I want to teach my child a good work ethic, mm-hmm. right? Like it's a good thing to teach them yeah. to clean up their room. It's a good thing to teach them. If you've signed up for this, you need to be committed to it, right? Yeah. You're serving others. You're helping others. And it's just that balance of wisdom of use making sure other people are there and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard. It's yeah, really hard. I and don't so think nobody so. should think, like, <laughs> you know, anybody's got this figured out completely. And as we've said before, it's another reason why it's so important to have close brothers and sisters in your life that can speak truth and that you give permission to speak truth into your life. So here's my life. wisdom in that with kids is I, I haven't – so. Jackson's not graduated yet, but next year he'll be a senior. So I haven't like went through college years. I haven't went through him getting married or whatever. So there's a lot that I do not know. Um, but I was talking actually with a parent the other day, not a not a Christian. I don't I don't believe, but he had a daughter. She's graduating this year, and he said, "You know what? I'm going to do different because he's got two younger boys." He's he he was talking about sports. He said when she used to come home, I would talk to her and say everything we could improve on and stuff. And he thought he was doing, being kind to her to help her. And he said, I'm not doing that to my boys. I'm never going to say anything. I'm just going to be there. I'm going to encourage them. And I think I'm, I'm starting to think that that might be the answer because we think, and guys, we do this with our wives too, right? They come home, they have problems at work and you're like, Oh my gosh, just tell, tell Cindy to mind her business and it'll be over with. And that's not what they wanted us to say, you know? And so I think with our kids, we have to more, more often than not, not just don't critique, you know, don't try to do what you were saying of like, I'm trying to instill a good work ethic in this. It's like, I don't think that's the route. I, th- I think they get a good work ethic at times by watching their parents have a good work ethic yeah. and just go about and doing it. Um, because in the end, I think kids hear that negative, uh, 
too much. I mean, it even happened recently with uh, with Easton. He was like, "You're just you yell at me all the time." And in my mind, it's not true. I'm like, I don't yell at you all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in him telling me that, the response is like, "Well, if you wouldn't do stuff wrong all the time, I wouldn't yell at you all the time." You know, that's what you're thinking, and it's yeah. like that's not very loving. And if anything, what I want my kids to know is I I love them, right? And so. As I've grown in this, when Jackson was, you know, coming into some like big track meets and stuff and uh, he was all nervous and I just again thinking through this stuff like we are now, I just told him like, why are you nervous? You know, and he's, well, you know, I want to do good. And I said, well, that's good. But you do know if you fail, if you fail miserably, number one, you, you say you're a Christian still. So. God still loves you. You're still in Christ, right? He's like, yeah. I said, and we would still love you. You don't have to. Maybe not as much. Not as much but. No, no. but, you know, it's like, it's like you don't have to win this race. You don't have to do all of this stuff because this this isn't what determines your value or your worth to, like, to me and mom and to your family, to your grandparents and all this. And, of course, they're like, well, yeah, I know that. And it's like, well, then what are you nervous about? Mm-hmm. You know, now, now I think nerves is a good thing because he has teammates, right? He has other things. Yeah, of course, you want to go and you want to do good. But it's like, I think your friends will still be your friends. I think your coach is still going to be Five fine. years from now, you're not going to care. Yeah, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm like, you'll be fine. So mm-hmm. don't try to be too nervous. And I remember after saying that thinking, I wish I would have been more like that all the time. You know, you know, just type of thing. Yeah. But it is a, it's a... It's again, it's that battle of contentment versus, like you said, Scott, of like, I want my kids to work hard. I don't want them to be lazy and I want them to try to get better at the things that they're doing and in school and whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a little like bit of wisdom of learning as you, as you move on. And I've noticed that at sporting events, it's like the parents who this is their last kid are usually pretty quiet and they're just sitting there and you're like, I don't know if they care. And now I'm starting to think, no, I just think they're a lot smarter than me. I think they figured some things out with their other kids. Like Mm -hmm. you can yell, run faster all you want at the cross country race. They're trying to run as hard as they can. They can't, they can't really run faster, Yeah, you know, type of stuff. So Mm -hmm. anyways, anything else? So does that help Amanda to not yell so much at the kids during the sporting events? And she's just usually basketball is when she'll yell, but it's not at the game. Yelling is fun, man. It's it's usually, you know, later. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Or with me, you know, she'll be like, you need to tell him to do this. <laughs> yeah. So she don't look bad. You know? So she don't look yeah, bad. Yeah. She's a public she educator. Loves, she yeah, can. she's smart. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's one of those things where, like Nolan playing soccer this year, and he played last year, I found out that I'm a lot, I mean, you always find this out more and more. It's like, you're a lot more like your dad than you think you are, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, I'm a lot more like my dad than I thought I was because I love yelling at sporting events. <laughs> your dad can tell you because he's been at several of the games. Yeah. But it's just, you know, trying to encourage, like even at the beginning of the season when Nolan's like, dad, you think I'm going to get a goal today? You think I'm going to do this? Just trying to remind him, is like, my goal for you is that you just don't give up. Just keep playing and just don't give up. I don't care if you get a goal or not. And just, Does that change though? Because he scored some goals, so now he has. Now if no. he doesn't score the goal, do you no. still take him to get ice cream? No. <laughs> See? No, I don't. See? <laughs> ice cream gets expensive, man. Especially at Independent Dairy, I've noticed the prices are up. Prices oh, have gone up, but they're still the best place in town. It is to get a very ice cream. good ice cream. I yeah. Agree. 
No, and that's it's, it's really the best fun. hard serve ice cream. And you know what? Abigail best. now knows what independent dairy is because <laughs> oh, when no. we walk in, she squirms and she gets really. <laughs> oh boy, she loves mm. it, man. That it's baby fun. goes crazy. That baby, <laughs> that baby goes, goes crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it's it's yeah, that's a good word. You had a lot of wisdom there. All right, well, <clears throat> we look forward to seeing you this uh, this coming week. Uh, we'll be in First Timothy again. Not sure what all verses we'll cover. I don't think we'll finish it uh, this week by any means. But uh, hopefully we, we see you this coming Sunday. We, we'd love to see you in church, to be with our church family together, worshiping and praising God, honoring him. He's the one alone worthy of that. And so I hope to see you there. But uh, until then, I, I hope that you have a, a really great week. God bless.